following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Ah, good Monday, Jay Sandoz, Keith Brake with you, and this just in: the Bucks and the Bulldogs have each scored again. I don't know how that's happened, but the uh, back and forth game that we saw still there. Unbelievable offense, and again, the Sanford Bulldogs have figured out a way to counteract Billy Taylor 55 points for the Bulldogs and now the best stat I can give you since ETSU restarted football 2015 going into the Mercer game one time ETSU had scored 30 points and lost now make it back-to-back weeks since then so the first I don't know 80 some games had only been once yeah. and now you're talking uh, back-to-back games the offense scoring over 30 the defense gives up plus 50 for the first time since 2015 which is honestly unfair to even bring up but uh, that was the year where they played all the freshmen and, and had three straight games that got beat by 50. I, uh, I don't know if I can make a bold prediction. They will not give up 50 to Wofford. I don't know if that's uh, – is that bold enough? Probably not bold enough. But I don't think that's bold enough. No. Not bold enough. But that being said, that was really the story of the game. And, I, you know, this was weird because you look at Michael Hires and he did a lot of what Liam Welch was able to do last year, take what the defense give him, short pass, short pass, and then get in playmakers' hands. And those playmakers made a few big plays and was able to score. I mean – 442 yards, four scores. Then he also ran for 50 yards on 13 carries and a score. Then you look at Tyler Rodell, career high, 389 yards, ties the all-time single-game touchdown passing uh, mark with five. Alan Chadwick is 62. And then Greg Ryan, hard to believe he only did that one time in his career, as many mm-hmm. touchdown passes as he threw. But impressive. And ETSU almost did something they've never done in history of the school, have three 100-yard receivers in a game. And I'm sure Quinn Caballero was somewhere arguing with somebody about to get an extra yard because they had 99. <laughs> I mean, there were like his first year at uh, or second year at Coastal. I think he only had 120 yards the whole year, uh, and he didn't have anywhere near that much last year. Like those are those are career high numbers for a single season for Quinn. And um, yeah, he was he was a breakout player. I mean, that we we talked about the need for guys to step up, right, in the face of injuries, whether that's injuries at linebacker like Steven Scott, it's injuries at cornerback, it's injuries on the offensive line, it's injuries at wide receiver. You know, they didn't have Cam Lewis yesterday or Saturday, and, you know, Caballero and others being asked to take on some some more reps and a bigger role, and uh, Quinn delivered in a big spot and with three big catches on that one touchdown drive that kind of gave the offense some life. Yeah, I thought, you know, uh, ETSU was still able to get five sacks, but they just in key times couldn't quite get Michael Hires down. In the same token, I thought the offensive line, as the game got going, got better. Now, Sanford traditionally doesn't blitz the passer a whole lot, but they did blitz more than they had in the past. And I thought making the, the simple adjustment of Bryson Irby to come in to be a better pass protector. Matter of fact, they did a, a corner blitz with Hakeem Johnson, and not that I'm pulling for this, but he knocked him out of the game. Like, he flat out flattened mm-hmm. Johnson. He got up, had to go down. I think he's had the wind knocked out of him. But Bryson Irby, uh, I think, deserves a lot of credit because he picked up a lot of free blitzers. And for a guy that hasn't had 
a ton of snaps and to have that confidence of like, hey, we're going to trust you to pick up some, throw some blocks, give Tyler Rydell enough time and give Rydell credit. I thought he dropped several balls down the field, which he's had trouble with the deep ball in his career. But there was a deep out to Wilson. There was the the go route on like a third and one or whatever that was, Mm -hmm. third and two. He chunked it down the field. There's a couple free runners on scramble plays where, you know, I had the very weak, bold prediction of one touchdown for Will Huzzy. He looked at me and scoffed and laughed as he recorded three touchdown catches. So he had three coming into the game and had three. So I thought it was, you know, a big step for Rydell in the passing game. And I think that really started from the end of the Mercer game Mm -hmm. where we started to see Tyler Rydell either have some trust in the system or they've discovered – um, concepts. I think that's the big thing people don't understand. It's not just it's routes, but it's how the passing concepts are working against the defense. And they found something against Sanford's defense where Sanford didn't do a lot defensively in the secondary that they haven't shown all year, where other teams have kind of mixed and matched a little bit with ETSU. Sanford only given up 33 points to Georgia. Only, I think it was 28, I think it was the most 27, the most points they had given up to a non uh, or to FCS opponents. And I think they just figured, well, we're just going to continue to do this because this is a workforce. Mm-hmm. And ETSU kept doing a couple pass combinations to put one of those three safeties in conflict, and Rydell made the right read. Every time he went outside, you know, he threw – or they went inside, he threw outside. And when they went outside, he threw inside. And he took what the defense gave him. I thought it was a big step for Rydell as far as the offense. I, I think the transition to the booth for Adam Nugabauer has unlocked something in this Agreed. offense. Because when you – you know, when you can't see the whole field and you're kind of, you know, swept up in the emotion of it, sometimes you can make some bad judgment calls. And and I, I think Adam would probably tell you, it's like, there have been times early in the year, I made a bad call, I put our guys in a bad spot. And um, I, I think any coordinator on the record or off will, will ultimately take ownership of some of those decisions over the course of a season. You're going to make mistakes, just like your players are going to make mistakes. And getting to the point where you say, I need to make a change. We need to make a change to the offense to find more success. He gets up there in the booth. It's quiet. Uh, you're, you're seeing the whole field. You get a better sense of who's coming in, who's coming out, all of these other things. Um, you get a better sense of where the weaknesses in a defense are that you can exploit and what on your call sheet is going to be most advantageous. And that has allowed all of the personnel in this offense to thrive. Sailors didn't rush for a bajillion yards on Saturday, but it's still four and a half yards a rush. You know, a seven was it 79 yards on 17 carries. Rydell has looked really, really good the last game and a half. I know the first half against Mercer maybe wasn't what he wanted, um, but overall, it just feel, and, and it feels like they're they're picking some really good spots to to plug Baron May in. He got an 11 yard touchdown run on a really nice uh, quarterback draw. I just feel like overall, this offense has grown a lot over the last two weeks. And you're not seeing that yield results in terms of wins and losses yet. But you are seeing it start to yield results in terms of yards and points and red zone efficiency. We've talked about that all season long. ETSU is 3-3 in the red zone. Would you like to have gotten there a few more times? Sure, maybe, probably. But ultimately... 3-3 in the red zone, you finish, you hit big plays. Offense did what was asked of it on Saturday. I think that's the the big thing. When the offense needed to respond, Mm -hmm. they did. And, you know, even down 
17. What was that, 12, 11 minutes to go in the game. Able to get a couple touchdowns, got it to a three-point. Had a couple tough, um, you know, and I had no problem really with the officiating the entire game. I thought there was a couple tough ones. I thought Will Huzzy got grabbed on the third and ten, his mm-hmm. jersey. And in Anaj Carter, I watched the replay, he was shoved – and in college, different pro – he was shoved out of bounds, which means he can come back in, get two steps, establish him his feet, and he can make a catch, which it looked like on the replays that I saw. Now, again, it's a bang-bang. Referees don't necessarily have that. I, I thought that was a reviewable play. I'm still not sure if it is. They say every play is reviewable, but on a penalty like that, I don't know. Not all penalties are reviewable, I guess I should say. Right, because that was an illegal touching foul by by Carter. So, not not sure if that was reviewable, but it looked like Buck should have had the ball down three at the six-yard line. And yep. again, this feels like 2019 all over again because mm-hmm. plays like that that in 2018 and 2021 went ETSU's way or benefit of the doubts went ETSU's way, haven't this year, and you got to overcome it. And, you know, one team is fighting for a championship and one wasn't. So maybe that plays into a, a factor, too. And I, I don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's conspiracy, but it happens, you know, when a good team plays a bad team. And, and if you look at records, that's what you would assume, a good team versus a bad team. Although yep. I don't think ETSU is as bad as the record is. I think Sanford proved to me they're like a top three SOCON team. I don't think after watching that, and I had to argue with Kevin Brown on this, I don't think they are better than Mercer or Chat. I would be inclined to agree. He is a live-in-the-moment guy, Mm -hmm. so he feels like they are, but he's a live-in-the-moment guy, and that's Mm -hmm. fine. I don't feel like they are. I feel like they're better than Furman, and they did beat Furman, so I'll I'll go with I think they are better than Furman, but they did some things defensively, but they went very fast all the time, which they had not done in all the other games. They go fast, and they picked their spots and go very fast, Mm -hmm. but I think they knew from last year what the formula is, and the big formula is Michael Hires, whoever the quarterback is, has to take what Billy Taylor's willing to give them, and they did that. Very few bad decisions by Michael Hires, and the only couple incomplete passes that he had down the field weren't particularly great. Yep. All the other ones were kind of short where he, he was kind of getting flushed and he side-armed it and it didn't go in. But when he had time to make a throw, or a couple times he went to throw it and it was covered up and he realized nobody was spying him, and then he was able to pick up five, six yards. So mm-hmm. I thought he played a tremendous game, and I th- give Chris Hatcher this. I think the last two quarters of the uh, spring game, the COVID year, the, mm-hmm. sp- the last two quarters there, they did about whatever they want to do to ETSU, and the last two games they've done about whatever they do to ETSU. The one thing I know is that you're guaranteed about 1,200 yards of offense when these two teams get together. Or at least Hi- last two years. Hires is, is I, I think, an interesting case study for this offense because – we often like to say, you know, Sanford uses the short pass like a lot of traditional or conventional teams would use the run, right? You use the run to get the safeties down into the box, and then you hit them with the play-action pass. Sanford kind of uses the short pass game the same way, right? You want the safety to be able to neutralize Yak, and they come down into the box a little bit more to try to eliminate those yards after the catch, and that's when you bunch them up and you hit them with a wheel route. You do other stuff. Um, to try to create mismatches or open looks. Um, but it's, so we say that to say the offense doesn't ask a whole lot of the quarterback. And to some degree, that's true, right? But you still got to make the right decisions. You have to make the right reads. And you cannot do what um, Carson Wentz in the NFL has become infamous for, which is 
thinking that every single play is a chance to throw a 60-yard bomb, and then you force it into double coverage, and there's a bunch of PBUs, you get three and outs, you turn the ball over too much, you end up throw, you end up inviting the defense to make plays on the football that where if you were just willing to take a check down and trust an athlete to make a play in space, you know, those sorts of things allow your offense to continue to excel. And so teams sort of by necessity give Samford the shorter passes a lot of times and making those decisions, making them quickly, processing quickly at the line, knowing where you're going with the ball, throwing it with confidence, making good decisions is something you have to be able to do. And really in that respect, you know, Samford's offense isn't the quarterback's arm. It's the quarterback's eyes and ears and all of his uh, uh, sensory processing centers as you try to make good decisions with the ball. And that's not necessarily going to be the most explosive athletic play that you can make yourself, but it could result in an explosive play for your offense at some point. And you gain positive yardage throughout that process. And that's the thing. Sanford was able to just kind of, you know, grind the field against ETSU's defense because they were able to hit those underneath throws. You get five yards here, seven yards there, six yards here. And it doesn't seem like a ton until you realize in about eight plays, oh, they're inside the 30. Oh, they're they're in field goal range. And Sanford was Sanford's able to do that really, really efficiently. I think they only averaged like six and a half yards a play. But they ran, what was it? How many plays did they run? 94. <laughs> Good Lord. Which is under the 119 they ran the year before. That's insane. Absolutely insane. So They actually, yeah. had, they actually had more time of possession this game. They only had 25 minutes and 119 plays a year ago, mm. or 26 minutes. Now they, had, they almost had 30. It was almost dead split. And the rule of thumb is if you don't win time of possession on Sanford, and ETSU really didn't, you're generally never going to win the game because yeah. they don't even care about time of possession. So if they can hold time of possession – it's a, it's a tough go. But that, the thing that, you know, I, I think to your point, if you look at the scoring drives for Sanford, this is what's crazy. Ten plays, 51 yards is the first one for 247. Fifteen plays, 79 yards yep. in five minutes. Then they go, is it five plays, 75? That's a little more traditional for them. In 52 seconds. In, fi- in 52 seconds, correct. And then they go four plays, 50 yards in 52 seconds. So that's a little more Sanfordish that you expect as opposed to long drawn out. Then they go eight plays, 52 yards, nine plays, 74, then 836 because of the failed onside kick. Yep. 679 for one third. No, that's uh, each issue. Sorry, 14 for 65. <laughs> Five minutes off the clock there. 14 to 65. And then 10 plays, 79 yards. There are option teams that can't do that. It's it's quite impressive. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's far, and it's been kind of the way. And we saw Billy Taylor try to change up some of the defenses. Now, some of the problem for the defense, they ran out of corners at some point. Like It yeah. seemed like everyone had a couple shoulder injuries. Then you had a hamstring injury. I mean, they had to move Elijah Huzzy over to the, the field side and put Odomegu, who was injured and banged up, and even Jay Henderson, who they're trying to redshirt, on the boundary side instead of the field side. You know, the RA thin at linebacker. We saw a couple linebackers go out. Cameron Garnett had to come in and get some snaps. But it, it, they were struggling there. And the big thing for me is usually you don't have to worry about tackling. But there were a lot of missed tackles. Billy Taylor talked to me a little bit after the game and just – 
he was kind of in awe of like the missed tackles and the Quinn Smith I get like he had made two open field great tackles yep. then he makes a huge hit and separates the shoulder in and out put it back in whatever and then he makes a play to hit a guy on the sideline instead of hitting him bringing him down he tries to shove him and Reyes was able to break the tackle and go for a touchdown that yep. was one and then the second one Chandler Smith catches one at about the five Oda Megwu, and I had to go back and watch this yesterday because I live I didn't see the replay. I couldn't figure out who it was. Yeah. But Oda Megwu was the one who's injured shoulder. He hits, can't wrap up because the arm's dragging as soon as he hits. And then everybody else was kind of standing around and thinking either George is going to make the tackle, whatever it was. But there were a couple plays, and there were a couple early plays in this game where, where third and eight passes were thrown six yards, and then the receiver was able to get two yards. And now Sanford in those situations yep. looked like they probably would have gone for it, and you don't know. But in the same token, that was a little disappointing. And for whatever reason, Chris Hatcher is the only guy in the league that has seemed to have Billy Taylor's number and, and figured out whatever Coach Taylor's trying to do. And I think a big thing is if ETSU, I think to help stop that, they've got to get a couple defense alignment that very quickly can either get some pressure mm-hmm. or long enough to get their arms up in a passing lane because – when Hires had to hold the ball, ETSU did a great job stopping the play, getting sacks, whatever he had to hold the ball. But if they weren't able to get there quick enough on a slant or something like that, then he was able to get too many quick throws off. And I think you look at chat, you look at a few other teams that got some yep. long length, yep. and I think if they can get to Sanford, that causes some problems. I mean, one thing Wofford's pretty good at, they always got some big-bodied yep. defensive linemen, and so they were able to kind of slow that down. But, again, Sanford didn't go warp speed, but I think they – Went back to last year's tape and said, here's how we're going to beat ETSU. Here's how we're going to be able to score. Mm-hmm. Now are we good enough defensively to stop the scoring? And this year they were. And if you have young corners that maybe aren't necessarily the most confident open field tacklers yet because they haven't just haven't had the opportunity to develop in your program uh, or as Division One football players because you got a guy out there that you're try- you were trying to redshirt and he has to play out of necessity, um, that's not a great – formula against a team that's going to throw the ball 55 times. That is going to lead to missed tackles. That's going to lead to yards after the catch. And I mean, at this level, there are a lot of teams, you know, and especially with the advent of the the, the recent wave of movement in the transfer portal. I don't think it will always be that way. But there has been a recent wave of movement from FCS programs to other FCS programs or to FBS programs whether a group of five or power five, uh, that has left FCS teams strained for depth. And so when you have a team that plays four or five wide receivers a lot, you can test a team's depth and you can find mismatches as a result of that. And that's why somebody like Chandler Smith can be such a problem is because you got to kind of pick where you're going with the with your best players. You have to line your chess pieces up and you're going to have, you know, you're going to have the knight and you're going to have the bishop, but at some point you got to you got to play the pawn. Right? And and they can find somebody somewhere we could say we can beat them here because this guy doesn't have enough experience. This guy's not good in one-on-ones. This guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You, and when you scout a team, you find all those weaknesses and if you don't have depth at critical positions, especially, you know, like outside linebacker, um, inside linebacker as well, where ETSU is thin right now, cornerback where ETSU has some talented young guys that are going to be, I think, pretty okay. 
but they just don't have a lot of experience. A team like Samford that throws the ball, that moves the ball at speed, that challenges you to get lined up right and make sound open field tackles, um, they can exploit a team that doesn't have a lot of experience depth like ETSU does right now. Yeah, they were talking a lot of talk about wasn't sure about how the team was feeling or mm-hmm. have they quit? Have you do you know because you're not going to win a championship, but you're down 17, 11 minutes ago, you could have packed it in, right? And, then and the guys fought. They fought. You kind of had, and I'll be honest with you, when they got it to three and ETSU had had back-to-back stops, I kind of felt like they were going to be able to make a play. And even even though they didn't, I still felt like the third or fourth down and ten plays were going to be converted, and I still think they should have been one way or another. It doesn't matter. It didn't. But I kind of felt like if they had a chance, either the penalty called against Huzzy or the completion stood – it's a three-point game again and put the pressure back on Sanford, who hasn't played in a lot of tight games. But give Sanford credit. They were able to get that 10-play 79-yard to give them the extra score lead. ETSU had the turnover on down. Then, obviously, a couple minutes left, you got to try to force something. And it was the only interception for yeah. Rodell. But he's just trying to – I mean, there's not a lot of time. you got to make up – got to have two scores. you got to either get down, kick, field goal quick, get onside kick, try to score, get whatever. I like Coach addressing the onside kick and said, hey, I just talked to Billy Taylor. You know, they're like – seven for seven <laughs> touches and scores do you care if i try to onside kick here i think they're bailing out and put your defense at a bad spot and yeah. coach said like yep let's go at it and uh obviously ball didn't go 10 yards which is almost hard to do but it wouldn't have mattered because even if he would have recovered it juan martin was offside so it had to re-kick but at least it would have been you know further down instead of a 36 yard drive but a lot of times the defense has had a gripe with the offense since football's been back. A lot of times ETSU couldn't get to 21 points, and if they could have got to 21 or 24 points, they could have won a lot of games. There's very few times you can turn and look and go, man, the offense scored enough to win. And the Mercer had a weird feel to it. I'm not even going to throw that out because I don't even know how ETSU was in that game for a while. But this one was one of those where it's like offense probably did enough this game. And yeah. the creativity was out okay. of the charts. We had the old Super Tecmo Bowl reverse uh, a flea flicker pass. Yeah, the reverse into a yeah. flea flicker into Noah West wide open down the sideline. Yeah, that was creative. I felt the Baron May, you know, student body left count quarterback counter basically yeah. was phenomenal. You know, he's in there for a play, 11 yards touchdown, and I thought that was great. You know, I've never seen Isaiah Wilson throw the football, so when he went to throw it and Huzzy was covered, I'm like, what are we doing here? And then he threw a strike, and I went, well, clearly they know the team better than I do, and mm-hmm. as they should. They're there every day. But, you know, there were other little little nuances that I felt like are either starting to take shape because of the understanding or the game plan was able to be executed because Sanford just kind of who, who they are. No. Uh, but there was a lot of encouraging things um, – especially on the offensive side, because if that does start to take – and this, again, I know it turned into a normal ETSU-Sanford shootout, but this is a different Sanford team. When you look at them statistically, when you watch their game film, they're not giving up a lot of plays. And ETSU was able – and here's the big thing. I think last week against Mercer there were maybe four – maybe it was six, but four to six big plays in the ETSU offense. There were 14 – in the yep. game, four on the ground, ten in the air, and there was only four of the fourteen plays were under twenty yards. Yeah. So to me, that's very impressive when you start looking at chunk plays. I mean, I'll just rattle them off the passing. You had seventeen, thirty-four, which is a touchdown to Noah West. 
34-47, 22 yard touchdown to Will Huzzy, 31-51 on that big third down to Quinn Caballero, then 26 yarder to Quinn, then uh, Carter for 17, and then a 40 yard touchdown again to Will Huzzy. Then you look at the rushing, 16 for Sailors, 21 Sailors, Baron May a touchdown, and then Sailors for 15. I mean, just th- those are the big plays that you have to have if you're going to win that game. And then defensively, for the second straight week, ETSU gave up 14 big plays. Yeah. So it was answered by Sanford. I'm not going to rattle off all theirs. But they actually had more rushing plays, which, again, is something they've added mm-hmm. to their game, as opposed to being a 70% pass team. Out of their, you know, 94 plays, now they did throw up 51. They ran it 43, so you're still talking like a 60-40 uh, type split as opposed to 53-47 that they had all year. But 43 rushes for Sanford is quite a bit. And, you know, they did a good job of picking their spots of when to run the ball, when to get an advantage. Stanton averaged, or, yeah, Stanton averaged five yards of carry. Michael Hires really had a sneaky 50 yards because a lot of times he picked up two, three yards on a play, should have been sacked or had no gain. Yeah, and I think he got he got sacked, what, three times for 14 yards or something like that, which is not very much for three sacks. Uh, so that, you know, you can, you can factor that in too. So they ran the ball 40 times, true run plays, 40 times, and then that would have been, what, like 58 dropbacks. So... Yeah, in terms of their play calling, it was much more much more of a, an even split or closer to an even split than they're used to. Uh, but they got the ball in the hands of a lot of different guys who all made plays for them. Would you like to know what ETSU's third down to go was again? Sure. 8.8. Average third down to go, 8.8. And the Bucks were still 7-13, which is – Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean – That's it, good. You know, and third and short, this is something ETSU struggled out. They were 3 of 3. That is really an area, you know, third and long, one and six. I guess the Quinn Cavalero was the only one they converted on third and long. Yeah, but yeah, still, yeah. ETSU had struggled on third and short. And there were a couple plays. Bryce Nerby had comes to mind. It was third and one, got hit behind the line, was able yep. to power his way to get a first down. Jacob Sayers was able to get a third and one on a power play. So, ETSU good there, but they gave up nine of 16 on third down on the other side. Uh, 0 of 2 for Sanford on third and long. They just couldn't get them in third and long. Needed more third and longs. When you gain, I think it's fewer than six yards on first down, um, your probability of scoring on that drive drops sharply. Uh, I, I remember I remember seeing the, the math on it somewhere, but somebody was like, well, such and such running back average four yards a carry. That's pretty good. Actually, it's still not good enough to justify you know, not throwing the football because you can get those yards more easily six yards down the field in the pass game, seven yards down the field in the pass game. And that's what you need to be able to do to keep the ball moving to score. Now, you can argue with the, the veracity of that, whether it was a small sample size. It was mainly applied to the NFL. College is a little bit different because there's less depth here. Um, you know, and, and there are more matchups that teams can exploit because there are bigger talent disparities than there are in the National Football League. But... Uh, you can't gain fewer than four yards on average on first down. And, um, and ETSU and, going and, and into the game is 42% on two or less. 42% And they of the still time. found ways to score 45 points. So I, I guess this time it didn't hurt them as much as it, it has in the past, but that's still something that those first down plays, you've got to be coming out of the gates, especially the first play of a drive. You really got to just come out and sock the other team in the mouth with your best stuff. 
I think they've always wanted to try to get more vertical, and I think they showed at least against the base cover three that we saw a lot of that they were able to get vertical. Normally, cover three, you can't get vertical. Now, there were a couple man-to-mans they beat. Clearly, the no OS, the trickeration got them on that. Um, but they were able to throw some man routes too, but it was a predominantly zone team where ETSU ran some combinations and was able to beat the zone quite a bit. I mean, Huzzy had the eight catches for 128, Wilson seven for 122, Caballero four for 99, but even Naj Carter's three for 27 had the big seam route. Sailors three for 10, Noah West had the touchdown one at 34. Now, I'm trying to think the North Dakota State has the number where it's the number of rushes per completion. They have a formula, like if you can get to like 65 or whatever it is. Um, the number of rushes per – and then the number of completions. If you get to 65, you pretty much win a game. That's that's the the math that uh, one of their guys gave me. So ETSU was 26 completions and the 32 rushes. You know, that's 58. For Sanford, 43 rushes, 45 completions. That's yeah. 88. It's going to be tough when you use that – when you look at that number. Yeah. And, yes, there's outliers and, and other things that play into that, a special yeah. teams, a defense. But I know that that's a – that's a number that is charted, at least, uh, by the Bison. And so uh, I figure if it's good enough for the number one team in the, the, the country for the last 12, 15 years, and probably good enough for everybody else as well. So that's sort of my initial thought. Special teams were good. You know, yeah. di- didn't, uh, you know, other than the failed onside kick, the punting was good. The return game was good. The mm-hmm. kickoff coverage was good. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, nothing really there. Field goal kicking, everything. Uh, we had the one false start on the extra point again, which somehow is is a issue that ETSU can't quite figure out. But other than that, uh, ETSU, you know, other than couldn't get off the field again against yeah. Sanford. I don't know what it is, but they definitely will not be playing uh, the high prolific uh, offense of the Sanford Bulldogs. But they will play yet another team that has a bye week yeah. uh, going into the Wofford, and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the week. Play that baton, Jay. Going to put you in charge of the school symphony. <laughs> that's what you should. That's what you should do. There you go. Yay! Thank goodness big, that's not big on smile, camera. big night at the Roxbury smile, oh, and head yeah. bob. That's what you should do. And you should. That's you know. You shouldn't be the conductor. You should come out. For the symphony, and just do that to the beat, to the tempo of whatever they're playing. If I could just wear that suit they used to wear, though, that would be. Oh yeah, like the like the burgundy, like the Will Ferrell deal. Oh yeah, with the turtleneck, little, little shine on it too. Yeah, yeah. The mock, the, the mock tee, the mock turtleneck. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, before we jump into SoCon games, yeah. Um, pick six recap. Yep. By the way, uh, bold predictions recap also bad for both of us. Uh, pick well, six was not great. Well, bold predictions were fine for me. What are you talking about? Uh, what'd you have? I had Will Huzzy touchdown. Well, you did. And I had the Oilers over the uh, uh, the, the the slappy Hurricanes. Okay, what was the other one? Uh, the last one was was not good. That was that was Detroit uh, dropping uh, to the Cowboys. That was so I went two and one in bowl predictions. Yeah, uh, I went zero and three. Uh, none of those happened. And I, and and I would. Uh, what was my? Oh, you're gonna go over that. I was, I was gonna, gonna say, say I, yeah. I had a very bad one there too. Tyler Reddick was gonna be my initial pick for my kind of wild card bold prediction. And uh, he was the second car knocked out of the race in Homestead. One of only, I believe, two cars or three cars that didn't finish the race. Uh, and then uh, Daniel Ricardo was a disaster. But I hadn't watched. We Practice hadn't happened yet. 
at in Austin. So in my defense, I was kind of going in blind and on vibes. But uh, I went three and three in the pick six. Jay went two and four. That does not sound right. We both picked Georgia Tech. Yeah, terrible. Um, you picked Campbell. I picked Jackson State. You're like good. Uh, you picked Weber State, which gave up a record four yes, safeties. That I could not. Oh. I just want to give you a chance to process that. Um, uh, the you, long snapper four times out the back of the end zone. Why are you punting after the third time? First one, okay. Second one, eh. and the other thing is, is the first. I think the first happened in the first quarter. The next two happened in the second quarter. The fourth one happened in the third quarter. I mean, it was spread out. Like, yeah, it was when you give up eight points, and they lost by five. Eight points, and these were snaps that weren't. These were like forty-yard snaps over the head, thirty-yard snaps. This wasn't. He's back up against the end zone, and the ball was high. I think there was only one around the twenty-yard line. The rest were like thirty-five, forty-yard snaps. They were brutal. It was tough to. Tough to swallow. If they were, we ever going to do fell downs, I mean, it was, it was all, it was all four of them. Uh, uh, yes, uh, we both picked Clemson, which bailed us out in the fourth quarter uh, against Syracuse. Uh, mm-hmm. You picked Sac State, and I picked Montana, mm-hmm. and it looked like one of us was going to be right, and then Sac State off their offense woke up in the second half, and uh, bang, 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 and then sounded the good other, to me. Then it inverted, and we both picked Mercer. Cause, cause I won't. Cause just, I won't say out loud the other team to pick the win. But if you really listen to my breakdown of the game, I think you knew. You thought I was going to say it out loud. I just can't say it out loud. But I, it does not shock me. Sometimes, and we're going to break it down in just a second. But sometimes it's just about matchups more yeah. than who's better. If that makes yes. sense. So I went three and three. You went two and four. Neither of us got the extra point. Uh, South Dakota State boat raced UND in the second half, and uh, ba- Baylor beat Kansas. In Waco. That doesn't sound right either. Yeah. Uh, what's my overall records? Do, you have uh, Do I even want to know that? I'm not good. Let me see. I have... Oh, golly. Um, I do not have... Okay, so you were coming in six and five. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, seven and five. Yeah. So now you are nine and nine. Oof. And I came in... I uh six and six, so I am also nine and nine. Yeah, that doesn't sound right. All right, so we are uh we're, we've tied. We've kissed yes. our sisters. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Uh, you okay? That's the old saying. Yeah. I know. Uh, fun. let's 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 jump into SoCon game show. Let's let's talk about Chattanooga Mercer because, like you said, this was all about matchups. And one matchup that I didn't bother to account for is the matchup of Mercer's ideal offensive scheme and game plan. Versus Chattanooga secondary because Mercer wants to put you in man defense. Which team among all teams in the SoCon thrives the best in man coverage? Chattanooga. Yeah, it's probably Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Yeah, and that's probably why they were able to jump out to a seventeen nothing lead that included a pick six. Well, the big thing to me was the first two carries I saw Devron Harper have in the first quarter went negative, so they only ran him three times for negative 11 yards. And the pressure that they were – again, I cannot stress this enough. Because of the way Mercer wants to do things, if the front four can get pressure, which Chattanooga can on anybody, it's just a game changer. And if Fred Payton has to straight drop, which he had to, because, again, the boots weren't working because they were just running right at him. Nobody cared about the fakes. They were just going right at Fred Payton. And when he had to drop straight back, interceptions. 
and he threw three of them. One was a pick six early in the game. And the ground game for Chat is clinical. 22 carries for a limb forward, 123 yards. No negative yards plays for a limb forward. He had the one touchdown. Uh, Geno Appleberry, six carries, 29 yards. He actually had a big play called back. And Preston Hutchinson was what he should be, 20 of 32. Not particularly great on the percentage, but 291 yards, three touchdowns, but zero interceptions. Four picks for uh, the Mercer Bears. Three by Fred Payton, 250 yards passing, 19 of 28, three touchdowns, three picks. Carter Peavy is going to be the quarterback next year of the future, three of five through an interception and some mop-up duty. But the big thing, 25 carries for 64 yards for the Mercer Bears. And, again, the front four chat, and it's – and Mercer's kind of had Chat's number in a few games. Yep. Um, the COVID year, one of the few games Chattanooga did play, Mercer won because Chattanooga muffed two punts inside their 10. Mm-hmm. And so Mercer was able to get a couple cheapies and held on for like a, 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 a three or seven point when it was one score game. Yeah. But they got a hold of a little cheapies there. And then uh, the next year, Mercer uh, down there able to get going. So I think Chat, since they've beating ETSU a couple times, didn't really have ETSU circled on the calendar. I think they had Mercer circled on the calendar, waiting to avenge that, and boy, did they ever. And it was a it was an impressive display, uh, sure. honestly, to watch the defense of Chattanooga work. The offense does enough, but the defense of Chat is legit, and it doesn't make me think any less of Mercer. I think Mercer's still probably going to beat Sanford, would be my guess, and you know we're going to save some of the future picks and talks uh, a little bit later on down the week uh, because that game yep. when is that is that the last game of the year right mercer yeah mercer sanford last game of the year yeah uh, and that one is going to be a huge one so we're not going to try to break those down now there's no sense because they're going to play later but the I, heated rivalry of the two private schools that are way outside the footprint so <laughs> i think i didn't i don't think any less of mercer but uh-huh. you know when people ask me in the parking lot i always ask you know how do you feel about this game if you about that game and i was wrong about the other uh, i wasn't wrong about firm i was really wrong about the western game and i'll get yep. to that in a second so i'm not sitting here trying to pound my chest as if i'm the the all-knowing because i clearly didn't see citadel wearing them out but i thought chattanooga if there was somebody was going to blow somebody out i said it would be chat had a better chance of blowing mercer out yep. than mercer had a better chance yep. of blowing chat out now i didn't predict the blowout but i did give everybody all the reasons why chattanooga had a really favorable matchup and why they probably were going to win the game. Yeah. But I'd be lying if I said I thought they were going to win by three scores. I think there's something to be said. For, I, I, first of all, that Mercer-Sanford, I think there's something in that. The far-flung bowl. I think that, that could be that could be something, something somewhere. I don't know. It's a bit. We'll workshop it. Um, Chattanooga established itself as the premier team in the Southern Conference. I thought at the beginning of the year they were probably the best team in the SoCon. Um, I wasn't sure the more I watched Mercer, I doubled down on Mercer, I tripled down on Mercer, and Chattanooga shut me up in a big way. Um, they were they were clearly the better team when it counted, and I think that's something that the committee will need to take in consi- into consideration when they put together the seating picture because this team doesn't have an FCS loss yet. Now... Did they necessarily play the most robust non-conference schedule? No, they played Eastern Illinois and North Alabama. So I I, I get it. But also, um, for a team at the top of this conference to come out and just boss another team around for 60 minutes doesn't really 
happen very often. When you have championship implications in a game, in the SOCON, teams usually play to that level. They play to the moment. There's always, a, it's a tight game. It's a one-score game. It's a 10-point game. Going into the fourth quarter, going into the final minutes, it's tight. Chattanooga took the tension out of this game early. And Mercer was able to claw back some points over the course of it, but Chattanooga was just clearly better for 60 minutes. And I would be fascinated to watch them match up with the top team in the OVC or the top team in the Big South, which will be decided probably this weekend when Campbell plays North Carolina A&T. I would be very interested to see how they stack up with other teams in the region that could potentially be considered in the seeding picture. And for that matter, other teams nationally that would be considered for the seeding picture. Here's my thought. Let's say Chattanooga runs the table. They go 10-1. and one. Let's say Montana wins out at whatever they would be, 8-3. and three. But they'd be 6-2 and two in the big sky. They lost to Sacramento State. They lost to Idaho at home. If it's down to Montana and Chattanooga for the eight, who does the committee put in there? Well, because Montana to get that to that record has to beat Weber State and Montana State. So they would have probably two wins better than anything Chattanooga could muster. Not through any fault of Chattanooga's, but just the nature of the schedule. What would that put them overall? What, Chattanooga? No, uh, Montana. Montana, they would be, I believe, 8-3. and three. But they'd be 6-2 and two in the big sky because they already have two conference losses. I think it – I think the – and this is how the committee works sometimes. I think the the 10-0 and 0 and did what you're supposed to do, run the table. And I think it would make big sky people mad. But especially if Furman and – Sanford and Mercer continue to win, but everybody other than themselves. Montana's remaining schedule. Okay. Um, and actually, I was wrong. They are not. Uh, they, they're not five. They're five and two right now, um, because they got uh, they beat. Um, or did, they didn't play an FBS game this year. That's why. Um, at Weber State, so they'd have to win that game. Cal Poly, which is as close to a cakewalk as you're going to get. Bo Baldwin's rebuild just hasn't taken root there. Eastern Washington is bad this year, and then you're at Montana State. So you'd have to win in Ogden and in Bozeman. I think that team's probably going to get seeded above Chattanooga if they take care of their business. If they lose one of those games and they only win one, say they beat Weber and lose to Montana State, then I think Chattanooga has an edge if you have three conference losses. This is all the fascinating stuff where you you really start breaking down stuff and seeing what is – what is important? Do you win 10 games, roll through your regular season? Because, I mean, right now, Chattanooga is kind of rolling teams. So Absolutely. They're not just, you know. I mean, we saw their – I think we saw their worst game of the year at, at Green Stadium. Right. They just did not execute. They came out super flat. ETSU did whatever they wanted on both sides of the ball in the first half, and they rallied and found a way to win that football game. So, and I, I think you could easily – look at that and go, okay, their biggest game of the year was on the road, eight, biggest rivalry game. Yep. Everybody else, they rolled. And, I mean, non-conference, in-conference, just rolled. Illinois didn't embarrass them uh, in the one game they played. So, 
you know, that's always the fascinating thing because the committee, for the most part, to get in the playoffs is a pure how many wins do you have? Yep. Not really against whoever, for the most part, unless there's like a plethora of seven-win teams and they've got to eliminate five of the seven-win teams or something. Yeah. Other than that, the seeding's a little more – a lot more arguments that go on, you know, because it's not just get in the playoffs. I mean, there were a lot of people last year that were on the committee that even said they didn't think ETSU still deserved it, even though they beat Vandy and all that and the one loss yeah. to Chattanooga. felt like that held them out now. ETSU got a pretty favorable seed and you know, at least I think justified it because they won. I mean, that's, that's about the only way you could do it. And then they go to North Coast State and lose by about what everybody else loses by. So, yeah. and I feel like that was an embarrassment to the league. I'm hoping that helps. But in the same token, it is going to be interesting because of all the big sky, Missouri Valley success in the playoffs versus Southern Conference. But, you know, if Chattanooga can get a seed, and it will be interesting to see if that plays out that way. Uh, and some things will handle kind of itself um, one way or another when we – go over on Wednesday some of these scenarios and some of the matchups, who's playing who. I think Chat has a strong case if you win all your FCS games and another team doesn't. But you obviously, if you're a big Sky fan, I'll tell you, look at it and go, but look at who we played and who we lost to and who you played and who you lost to. So yeah. it'll be very interesting to see. Um, also, can you go ahead and uh, put a check mark by my bold prediction that Missouri State would miss the playoffs? Uh, I can. I yeah, because that's going to happen. They just lost their fifth game. So they're, they're yep. done. All right. Keith's got one on the board, ladies hey! and gentlemen. He's got one on the board. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, stubborn. He is the smartest man in the universe. That was the one I was looking for. Sorry. Not yeah. stubborn. You are stubborn, too. I, I, am, I am stubbornly smart. That is, mm-hmm. That's, that's mm-hmm. a fair critique. That's mm-hmm. a fair critique. Uh, one of my one of my professors when I was an undergrad at ETSU said I must avoid glibness, and I said I disagree. I think it will serve me well in sports talk. Uh, and it does. It, it does. does. If you can't boast about yourself, then you're in the wrong business. Uh, I, the seating picture this year is going to be really interesting because Chattanooga obviously is going to be a factor. Whoever wins the Southern Conference, I think, is going to be a factor. So if if it's Samford. They could also potentially be in the mix. If it's Furman, for some reason, if they're able to win their way back into the mix, then it might not be. But I think if it's Chat or Samford, one of those teams will be under consideration for a seed at the end of the year. Um, you know, Sacramento State, Montana State, I think are kind of front runners. South Dakota State is uh, probably the number one seed right now. Delaware, William and Mary, you know, New Hampshire. I was looking for something from New Hampshire. They didn't have a win over a team with a winning record and they pasted Elon uh, over the weekend. So I am looking forward to, uh, to this seating picture. It is definitely thorny. It is intricate. And then you have a wild card. What if Holy Cross comes out this week and smashes Fordham? And they are clearly the best team in the Patriot League, bouncing back from a close call against Lafayette last week. And they have a win over a Buffalo team that's won five straight and is going bowling. Where do you put them? They got to be in the mix somewhere too. And what about SEMO? SEMO doesn't have, I don't believe, an FCS loss. And they beat Southern Illinois, which is a team that's pretty good, but is probably going to be on the bubble because they've got three FCS losses and might pick up a fourth before it's all said and done. So... There's going to be a lot a lot to untangle with these teams. The picture is still not perfectly clear as we get into the home stretch here. 
How long have we gone on this show, Jay? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We'll talk about Citadel. Let's yeah, talk about Citadel. Well, very quickly, Fermi did what they should do. Can we just skip that one? Uh, VMI. Uh, yeah, that to was play young guys and and. You know. I, I my bold prediction that uh, uh, VMI and the Citadel would score seventeen points or fewer combined. VMI held up their end of the bargain, and I knew very quickly in that game between the Citadel and Western Carolina that uh, El Cid would not. Yeah, they had twenty four uh, in the first. Matter of fact, jumped out to a thirty one nothing lead. New quarterback. Yep. Grace Underwood. Yep. Uh, One-yard touchdown run. Then he throws a 26-yard touchdown pass. They get a field goal. Then he throws a 32-yard touchdown pass. And then they hand off to a wide receiver, Ricky Conway, or run a reverse or whatever they did, and he scored. And it was 31-0, five minutes to go in the third quarter. And no words. There was – it's not that I didn't think Citadel could do enough to beat Western Carolina – no one in their right mind said, you know what, third, mid-third quarter, Citadel probably up 31. Probably going to score the first 30 points of the game. If you said somebody's up 30, you would say Western, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not making that up, right? You would look at somebody and go, yeah, Western. If somebody scored the first 30 of the game, probably Western it's Catamounts because they're offensive juggernaut. They struggle defensively. They may give up 30, but they're going to score 30. So I, I think Grayson Underwood could – become one of the great underdog stories of Citadel football because this is a guy that didn't play much. Actually, I don't think he played at all uh, his senior year at, at Dutch Fork uh, in, in high school in South Carolina. He won a ton of state titles, but he didn't play. Uh, he didn't play in the 2021 spring season. He didn't play at all last year either. This is his, I believe, his first game action as a Bulldog came on Saturday. Unless he got a snap somewhere else. Because How about this, though, while you look that up? 36 attempts rushing, 129 yards and a touchdown, four of seven passing, two scores, 82 yards. That's impressive. That's an option quarterback. No doubt. Yeah, I, I, I think I think so for sure. And I think Underwood is someone who, yeah, his the stats, they didn't put his name in. The, or was, I don't know if it's, uh, was this game in Colloway? It was. Yeah, so it, it only shows up as Gray is Underwood, but it's Grace and Underwood. Um, that was his first action of his career. And he smashed it and put the Citadel in a position to win a game that a lot of folks would not have expected them to win going in. And now if you're the Cid, I mean, if you're El Cid, you've got, Four games left, right? You're going to test yourself against Samford. That'll be a tough game. I expect them to put up a fight. Chattanooga, that probably won't go well. But then you got Virginia, Lynchburg, and VMI. You could, you could you do get some, you a couple more wins right there. Yeah, you could stack up a couple more wins and build something toward next season if you're if you're the Bulldogs. So maybe they have finally figured out their quarterback situation. You need somebody when you run that offense. And even though they've added some more, you know, shotgun and eye formation stuff, it, the root of what the Citadel does is the triple option. And it is so ingrained into the identity of that program that I don't think it's ever going to change. There are some programs that just won't leave it behind. Georgia Tech will, if they haven't already. I think they're probably going to. Um, Georgia Southern might leave it behind at some point, but they've gone back to it and had success with it uh, several times over the course of the last, what, 10, 12 years. Um, the Citadel is going to run the triple option. 
And you need a quarterback that can run that effectively. And Underwood might be their guy. A guy who slipped through the cracks, probably wasn't particularly heavily recruited out of high school, but now has the chance and has taken the chance with a Division I football team to start. And it took him a while to get here, but he got here. I think that's pretty cool. And I hope it turns into something big for him down the road because FCS is built on stories like that. This whole level of football is built on stories of guys that fell through the cracks, found a place, embraced the place, the place embraced them, and they thrive and become all-time greats for mid-major college sports programs. I think it's a great – it is a great story. Uh, You know, I thought Amon Green was going to be one of those guys that could – Kind of run it and take it over, and I he had one carry, but I I've not I've watched the chat game again. I watched ETSU's game again. So on a Monday, I've just hadn't had time to watch Citadel West Carolina. But because ETSU plays West Carolina coming up soon, I desperately uh, want to watch that game. I've watched a bunch of Wofford just because Wofford played some common opponents uh, with ETSU, so I've already seen enough of those. But curious to see what happened for West Carolina. I I don't know, man. I mean, just it's very. Let me see what the first drop just in a vacuum here the first few drives for western carolina they went three place punt five place punt three plays interception four plays turned it over on downs five plays interception and then they turned into west carolina touchdown 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 but by that point the game was over yeah but it's, it's it's amazing to me i mean the last three drives where they score they go seven seven plays 70 yards 13 72 and 12 for 58 yards other than that, they didn't have a anything over five plays. And so Citadel was able to do what they do. 12 plays, 73. 11 plays, 85. 19 plays, 74 yards on a drive. Three plays, 39. Uh, took a knee at half. 16, 70, uh, 16 plays, 75 yards. 14 for 67. Four plays, two yards. And then two plays, took a nail down. I mean, what was the time of possession at? Just, hold on, I'm getting there. Because it's, it's got to be right. Uh, 42-49 oh, for the Citadel. Oh, oh. Uh, that gave me heart palpitations. 42? 49? Oh, 43 minutes. Ugh. They had the ball for 43 minutes. 13 of 18 on third down. Two of three on well, fourth down. Here, the, other, the other thing? The other thing? The other thing? You want to know another thing? Jay, what's my, what's my storyline with Western Carolina? Is that they don't play with discipline. Yeah, what was the penalties? They, they were the most uh, penalized team in the SOCON by a lot. Nine penalties for 92 yards including four Citadel first downs Ugh. earned via penalty on Western Carolina. So didn't help themselves one bit. And this is a team that just, I don't know, man. I, I don't get it. They got all the talent in the world. <laughs> they take they, they, they take the top off the defense like anybody, as well as anybody in this conference, maybe as well as anybody in the country. They've got so much speed. Sincere Lee on the outside. They got a couple other guys that are really good too. They've got two quarterbacks that can sling it a little bit. And certainly, you know, it's easier when you've got guys that just uh, off at the line see you that you can hit them in stride down the field and there's nobody within 10 yards of them because they're that fast. They play with explosiveness. How does this team continue to play with so little focus? That's what it is when, when you're careless with the ball and they turn it over two more times in this game. Um, you're not playing with discipline. That's what nine penalties for 92 yards is. You're not playing with discipline. That's not 
you know, the you know, it's that is not something that is prone to variance of we got this officiating crew or that officiating crew and this crew throws more flags and this crew doesn't blah blah blah. You know, it's that's that's no. You are well beyond that. You are an outlier to that and you are consistently the most penalized team in the conference. I don't get it. I I just th- this team if they had if they had the focus and dis- if they had half the discipline of the Citadel, this team would probably be 7 and 4 at the end of the year. They I th- I believe in their talent that much and they just I just don't get it. I got a question for you. What? How many times do you think a team has lost if they had 72 rushes in a game? The Citadel had 72 <laughs> rushes in a game. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I laugh because, you know, I mean, we've seen Sanford with 119 and 94 plays versus ETSU. And, but it's, and they've it, lost it, some of those games, too. It, yeah. Right. Uh, but but I still feel like rushes are different than sort of the, the pass-rush combo or all passes. If you are effective in the run game and you're averaging, you know, five, five and a half yards a rush – and I mean, if you have seventy, you had to do something right to get seventy-two rushes. That, that's, you, that's you can't be converting. Time, that's a lot th- of time that you can run off the clock that way. Yeah, absolutely. Four yards again, perfect military football. Four yards of carry on the seventy-two yard, just. Ugh. But also, I was, can you pull up? Do you have the explosive plays over there, like the the chunk plays? Uh, so they played well. No, because Western runs the sidearm and how many how many scoring plays do you have for uh give me give me the scoring plays what what were the citadel scoring plays uh 26 yards yep uh 32 yards okay and they had a one yard for for i'm missing a touchdown so one yard touchdown 26 pass 32 pass five yard run that was the other one so they've had uh out of the four touchdowns they were two five yards and in and two passes of 26 and 32 which i'm sure they gave the play action and threw over the top how do you let the Citadel gain 25 yards on one play? You just, that offense, it, it like it's hard to bottle up because it's one-on-one football everywhere, but also like that offense is designed to gain four yards every play and just roll down the field. So how are you giving up that men, that much to them? I just, man. Well, I, here's what I want to see. I'm going to go to it right now just to, they had a 19-play drive. I just want to read the. The totals here. <laughs> 19 oh. play jobs. Sorry, I can't stop laughing. All right. Um, it was a three-yard run, yep. one-yard run, nine-yard pass, eight-yard run, six-yard run, ten-yard run, two-yard run, one-yard run, four-yard run, went for it on fourth, picked up six yards, four-yard rush, <laughs> six-yard, three-yard, three-yard, seven-yard, two-yard, four-yard, penalty, false start, backed them up. They had a third and six. Uh, then they picked up uh, – oh, no gain. Had no gain. And they kicked the field goal. They went 19 plays to get a field goal. <laughs> they had one play. Uh, right? One play that was – You know what, though, Jay? You know what? You know one what, play? though? One play. Ten yards. One play. The clock was running for almost all of that drive. Uh, so, like, you think about, oh, my God, a 19-play drive. 11-minute drive. A 19-play drive, I want to gouge my eyes out with a cocktail fork, but it's, you know, it's not taking them 45 minutes to do that because they're not throwing the ball very much. All of those run plays are chewing up. Yeah, the only time the clock stopped was a false start. (laughs) 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 And then they reset the clock. The only time it stopped, they didn't throw an incomplete pass. Woof. Now, if they got ran out of bounds, they still restart the clock. They they had zero. This is unbelievable. I could watch this all day. That's why I like watching Army. I watched the Army. 
game. I thought it was because they're done in two hours. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. And if you fast forward between plays, it's like it's like thirty seven minute game. Yeah. So I mean, I can I can watch a whole thing in like forty five minutes. It's incredible. All right. Uh, coming up later this week, we'll break down Mercer at VMI. Chattanooga travels to Furman. I think that's a big game. And this new game. look Citadel team versus Sanford. And I love these because the clash of styles sometimes yes. creates great games. Sometimes it doesn't. But sometimes those clash of styles between those two teams are great. So I'm curious to see. We will see how good those safeties are at reading the pitch for Sanford. Like that's that's your 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 key and your pitch man. That that's gonna there that is where those players are, and that's where those players have to get downhill and finish with force at the line to limit yardage. We're gonna see how good they are. Well, and the other question is too, how you know the tapes out on Underwood, right? Can teams do something to schematically take him away? It seems like they were content with Western was taking the fullback dive away and letting the quarterback do something without yeah. knowing who that guy was. But eventually, after thirty four carries, maybe you want to take him away and not let him get thirty six carries. I don't know. Uh, again, pick your poison with that no, team now. Yes, I've not watched it. I'm going to go back and, and watch it. I'll have a little more to say on it on uh, Wednesday and Thursday when we do those podcasts. But you know, it's an interesting week. Sanford came in, scored a lot of points. They stay undefeated. Chattanooga stays undefeated. Chattanooga's about to go to Furman, and they got the Citadel. And Sanford's last two games of the year at Chattanooga, home to Mercer. So the far flung bowl. It I'm, I'm going to make it stick, man. Far flung bowl. Let's do it. I'm going to let you call it that. Yeah, we'll see. But it's interesting to see far how that's going to go. Far flung football festival. <laughs> there you go. The, f- the far is that an F5? What is that? F4. F4. Far-flung yeah. football festival. Fiesta. Just throw another one on it for no Far-flung football fiesta. There you go. Yeah. There we go. It's right. still the... F- <laughs> uh, that's your thing. I'm not, I'm not going to let you roll that. Yeah. All right. Wednesday, do we got... Uh, is BMAC coming on? Do we know? Do we know? Uh, Can we yes. preview that? Brian McLaughlin, yes. All right. We'll uh, have Gridiron Rocks. I got I to gotta text him and make sure we're going to do it. Jenkins Buccaneers Road Network. <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding me.